Here's the word of the Lord. Starting verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Please be seated. This is a wonderful prayer. As I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer, there are two major problems that we face living in America. One is familiarity. We are familiar with the words of the Lord's Prayer. I remember when we were in Africa some years ago and preaching at a church in a small village and asking the members of that church how many of them had ever heard the Lord's Prayer. And for my amazement, one person raised his hand saying that he had heard the Lord's Prayer. We here are so familiar that as the saying goes, familiarity breeds what? Yes. But the other problem that I see as another trap that we face in America as, as we are looking at the Lord's Prayer is the fact of abundance. We are a culture, a society, immersed in abundance. So, when you first come to America and you first come to Costco, that's a whole other world. The abundance of food, the abundance of everything. Uh, it's, there's abundance that many times become a deadly trap. So we have abundance of sermons online. And all these sermons cause many Christians to no longer pray for their pastors. Why? You have an abundance of teaching. Who cares if your pastor will preach faithfully or not? You just press play. So, Gary Millard, he writes, Oh, in the bad old days, Christians were reliant on their own pastor for teaching. And that moved people to pray. And in some cases, to pray fervently. <laughs> when you're counting on our own pastors to teach us, we know that God needs to work if we are to hear His Word, we see our pastors week after week. We know His weakness when He's tired, sick, overloaded, when His children are sick. And all these things should drive us to pray for Him. But if much of our teaching comes from through podcasts delivered by an apparently brilliant guy that we don't know, in a place that we have never been, to people we have never met, it's not quite the same. To put it bluntly, it does not matter to us if God show up and address His people on the Lord's Day. We do not need to pray then, we just need to press play. 
The connection between our prayers and the sermon is broken. And when that happens, it's no easily fixed. Abundance of sermons. Abundance of bread. The petition says, give us today our daily bread. And we have an abundance of bread. What bread are you talking about, Jesus? French bread, whole wheat, sourdough, English muffin. And then you go to the English muffin section. What type of English muffin are you getting here? Abundance. Abundance. Abundance of debt. We are a nation of debtors. People overflow with debt, so they think it's normal. Why should I ask God to forgive us our debts? I have debts and I'm fine. Abundance of comfort and security. Security cameras everywhere. Abundance of firearms in our homes. Abundance of public safety security officers. We have sheriffs, state troopers, police officers. Cause us to think we are safe. I'm okay. So it's against these things that we must fight. In order to fully align our lives. Not with our culture, not with our society. But with the Word of God. So my prayer is that as we are studying the Lord's Prayer. That our prayers will change and our lives will change by the power of God's Word. Amen? So, as we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, you know by now it's the Sermon on the Mount, and that's all about Jesus' authority. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's about Jesus' authority. And His authority covers every single area of His disciples' lives. No area is left untouched. And even the area of prayer is touched by the Lord Jesus. And He says, it's mine and you need to learn from me how to pray. And you must follow my pattern in your prayers. So that's all we are looking at. So we come to Matthew chapter 6 and the Lord is teaching us how to pray here. And I need to move quickly. We are going to be looking at the last three petitions today. Verses 11 through 13. And you see in my outline, I have the vital addendum there. It's the verses 14 through 15. And I'm just going to briefly mention these verses when it comes to verse 12. We don't have much time. So my, my goal is just to finish with the last three petitions. Okay? So as we saw, verse 9, Jesus is giving us a pattern. Pray then, He taught us how not to pray, and now He moves and teaches us how to pray. Pray then, the verb is in the imperative, meaning it's a command to all His disciples. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how do you pray? How do you pray? If we could record your prayers, do your prayers follow the pattern that the Lord Jesus is commanding you to pray after? Or you create your own pattern of prayer? Pray then like this. And He gives the, the frame, the skeleton, 
that we'll hold our prayers together. So, there is the invocation. Our Father who is in heaven. This beautiful invocation. How we start the prayer. The Trinitarian aspect of the Gospel. That we come to the Father because of the work of the Son. By the power of the Spirit. We come to the Father. And remember, this invocation is the place for all the praises and adoration. Thanksgiving. Thank you that you are my Father. You adopted me. You placed me in your family. And you remember about the fatherhood of God. He's our protector. He's patient. He's our provider. He pardons us. And then we are reminded that He's in heaven. So He's not any father. He's not pops. He's not a grandpa. He's not Santa Claus. But He's the heavenly Father. He's holy. The transcendence of the Father. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. And then what else? He does whatever He pleases. So you remember that this Father is much wiser, much more knowledgeable than we are. And it's time for us just to be quiet and say, I trust you, Father. Just hold my hands and help me to be quiet. You are much wiser than I am. You are in heaven. I'm on earth. Let my words be few. And then we saw the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name. Now we, we, we bear the name of the Father. You're baptizing to the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We are part of His family. We bear His name. Therefore, all our actions must honor the name that we bear. So, all the decisions we have to make, all the things we need to do in the day, we need to pray, Lord, Father, help me. Help me to honor Your name with my actions, with my words. Your kingdom come. That's the petition of all petitions. That's the whole theme of the Scriptures. Embodies the whole storyline of the Bible. The Bible is about God's presence, His covenantal presence through His kingdom. Your kingdom come. And then the last was, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw your will refers to what? The Scriptures. His revealed will. Your will be done. Meaning we are to obey your will. The King has revealed His will just like in heaven. So that's all we saw last Lord's Day. So let's move now to the last three petitions. And now we move to man's basic needs. It's beautiful. Man's basic needs. It's his glory through the basic needs of his children. And you see, please look in your Bibles. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation. Meaning that's a package. That's all we need the most. And they're together. Implying the pardon and protection are as important as what? Your physical needs. And this whole prayer, we have only one petition concerned with the physical needs of God's people. 
Eight Greek words. Now contrast that with most of the prayers that take place in most of the Christian churches. And all that the prayers are concerned are about what? Physical needs. Material needs. So we need to let the, the Lord's Prayer revolutionize, realign our priorities. So the first petition related to men's needs, and that's the fourth petition. It says, give us today, or this day, the ESV says, better today, our daily bread. And as I said in the beginning, sometimes it's hard for us. <laughs> bread. I don't want a bread. Give me steak. Why bread? We've got to go back. Understand the culture. Bread, lehem. The Hebrew word refers not only to bread itself, but to all the basic necessities of man. Since bread was so basic, even today if you go to the Middle East, every meal you have a piece of bread. And bread becomes the plate. Bread becomes the utensils. Bread becomes even the napkin. And that's part of their meal. And they would always have bread, a good source of carbs and protein in their bread that they would make. So that's just the, the, the imagery of, you go through the Scriptures and it becomes an image of the basic necessities of man. It's not the, oh, just bread, how about my water? No, it's included here, the basic necessities. And notice that Jesus says, give us, give us. As children who are dependent on their Father. It shows our dependence. Give us, O oh Father. We cannot acquire on our own. We don't have the strength and the power on our own. We need you to give us. And He's asking the Father, not, the, not Caesar. Not the state. Not the government to provide for your basic needs. Rome was known as Roma Eterna, eternal Rome, the self-sufficient city, the eternal city that can provide for its citizens, what? Bread and circus. And we live in a very similar situation. People depending, requiring from the government, the state, their bread. Uh, 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 uh. You ask the Lord, and how does the Lord answer that prayer? He gives the rain, He gives the seeds, and He gives you strength to work. Ability to work. Not sitting down on your couch watching TV waiting for a check to come. That's not how it's supposed to be. So we see here, our Father, the dependence. It goes against the self-sufficient, men-centered mentality. As man is worthy of everything, deserving of everything. No, 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 I'm a beggar. Please help me, Father. One scholar says, Americans live in a land of plenty. Indeed, we have so much food. We worry more about obesity, obesity than hunger. We buy large quantities of food in well-stocked stores and stuff it into our Capacious refrigerators and freezers. We plan ahead so that our food seems to come from our work and our kitchen. 
In Jesus' day, it was more obvious to a laborer that he should pray daily for his daily bread. A common laborer lived on a payment for days for that day's work. If he could find no work, or if his employer withheld his wages, he might go hungry. Western culture has changed enough. Monthly paychecks are an example that we do not feel the urgency to, to pray for food daily. But our food still comes from God, and we honor Him when we acknowledge it. That's why every meal should be a time of worship. We are not animals. We are children, thankful children that God has blessed us. He has been faithful. He has provided for us. Amen? It says, give us this day or today our daily bread. Notice it gives us, give us, not give me, give me, give me. Give us, thinking about the family. Think about the needs of the church. That's why Wednesday nights are so important. And the emails that we send, and I want to thank Susan and Anita, who always write the emails sending with all the prayer requests. It's our time to go through that and pray for some of the basic needs that are taking place in our church. Pray for the missionaries. I was reading this week the voice of the martyrs. And right there, you stop and just pray, Oh Lord, God Creator, yet Father, sustain your children in Malaysia. Sustain your children in Afghanistan. Look at this family, Father. The husband is in prison because of the gospel. Please provide the daily bread that his wife and his children need. Let us stop being selfish. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. Talking about Christians. Notice also, the petition is for the daily, daily needs. Not for the need of tomorrow, but for the need of today. Every morning, you're supposed to pray in the morning. Oh, Father, give us, give us today, because I know that in your providence, you can bring such calamity in the matter of an hour that we lose all our food. So please, give us today our daily bread. And the prayer is, think about the Old Testament background. And where is Jesus getting this foundation from? The Exodus. Here's the, uh, the greater Moses on the mountain giving a new Torah. And his teaching reflecting what took place in the Exodus. And you remember the manna. What happened with the manna? How much were supposed they, how much were they supposed to collect of manna? Just for the day. What happened if they collected more? Rotten, moldy, telling the kids, diarrhea, nasty, to teach them a lesson. Trust me, I'll take care of tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow. Trust me today. And what did they do? 
just sit at home waiting for the manna to come. No, they had to go and collect the manna for the day. But not only that. In Proverbs we see a beautiful prayer, very neglected. I never saw a book written on this prayer. I saw a book on the prayer of Jabez, but I haven't seen a prayer on this, a book on this prayer here. Proverbs 30. Here's a guru teaching us about prayer. And goes back to this theology of daily provision. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not Deny them not me before I die. First, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Some of you have been seeking riches. And learn here. Stop seeking riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I will be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name, honoring God's name, the name of my God. And of course, our remaining sin will do what? First thing, but the Bible talks about planning. Or the future. Notice that Jesus doesn't say anything about that. And actually, if you keep reading, He's going to say, stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about tomorrow. The Father takes care of you. And before we move on, let me just... I think this petition is so powerful. and could change many of us here. Give us today our daily bread. That's so important. So many Christians, they are in debt because they are disobeying the truth of this petition. So many Christians are in debt today because they are disobeying the truth of being content with what God has given you for that day. So, You do not have money for tomorrow, but you want to buy things for tomorrow. And then you pretend to be wise, and what do you say? Oh, that will save us money in the future. It's such a deal. I cannot but not buy this. But you don't have the money. You don't have the money. You are a fool. Don't think putting the credit card is going to help. Learn to live with what God is giving you today. If you don't have money for tomorrow, throw away your credit card and use the cash to buy for today. And this prayer will change us. Will help us. Will empower us to depend on the Lord. And we stop looking like society and we start looking like the church. We learned this lesson with real life experience. Stop. Go to Costco. It's such a good deal. Look at that. But the Lord has not given us the money for, for tomorrow. He has given us the cash for today. We buy for today what we need. And notice, 
is the basic necessities. It's not the organic, nice, dress fad. Basic. Ah, that's mean. <laughs> that's mean. That's the Lord teaching us. Teaching His church, His people. Stop looking like the world. Look like my people. Dependent children. Let's keep moving. Talk about that. Look what leads to you. The fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's amazing how Jesus moves so quickly from physical needs to spiritual needs. I know that you need physically, but your greater, your greatest need is spiritual. So he moves to talk about pardon, forgiveness, repentance. And that also is the heart of the gospel. Forgive us our debts. What, what is the gospel all about? But God sending His Son to pay the debt of His people in order to restore the relationship with His children. So He cannot remove forgiveness of sins from the gospel. You see how this prayer is so gospel-shaped. They cannot speak about this prayer without thinking about the profundity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I love, I love preaching this prayer. Preach your weddings, every opportunity I have. You have the gospel here so powerfully manifested in this prayer. So, forgiveness of sin is a major theme throughout the Bible, and it's a major theme throughout the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is showing us through the teachings of Jesus that those who have repented of their sins, have been forgiven by the Father, will now live in a community of people who are eager to forgive one another. And we see how important this petition is. Look at verses 14 through 15. It's the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus says, Huh, let me talk a little bit more about that subject. Because you need to hear more about repentance, forgiveness of sins. So he goes back in verse 14 through 15. The Bible describes sins. Think about the uh, a theology of sin. What is sin? And the Bible describes sin. Sin is so profound that there is no one word to describe sin. You, you have metaphors for sin. You have images for sin. So sin throughout the Bible is pictured as rebellion. Like Adam and Eve. Rebelling against, against the great king. Treason. Sometimes sin is pictured as a burden. Sin is pictured as a blemish. Sickness. As a slave master. Sin is pictured as missing the target of God's glory. That's what Paul says. And fall short of God's glory. As if you have your arrow and you're trying to hit and you cannot hit His glory by no means. But here Jesus used the, the metaphor of what? Sin as debt. Debt. And you see, that's what I said in the beginning. It's a problem because our culture is so accustomed to debt that we don't think that debt is ugly anymore. We don't see, we don't feel the heaviness of debt anymore. 
So people are owing all sorts of things. And that's fine. But that's ugly. It's so ugly that's pictured as sin. One scholar says, we are a nation of debtors. Millions of young people are on the verge of bankruptcy with unpayable credit card debt that compounds yet more interest every month. The problem of school debt has now become a national crisis. Even the federal government is in debt. Yet, while many Americans view debt as an annoyance, in the ancient world, debt was punishable by prison sentence. In the Roman Empire, prisons were not generally filled with criminals. They were populated with debtors. And if you read, if you go to Matthew 18, you see, look at Matthew 18, verse 25. The man who is in debt, what happens to him? He becomes a slave. In ancient times, and even under the Old Covenant, when you're in debt, you have to sell. Maybe you have to sell your child. Maybe you have to sell yourself in order to pay the debt. And it would bring shame to the family. And so many people are in debt, and they have no shame of being debt. Look at our nation. So it's against this background that we must see how sin is ugly. How debt is ugly. Don't, don't, use, don't use our culture to try to illuminate the ugliness of sin. Let the Bible. You see, there are two aspects of repentance and forgiveness and, and our debt. There is a vertical and there is a horizontal. There is a vertical dimension. That's our debt towards God. And then there is the horizontal, our debts towards one another. And forgive us our debts. So first he addressed the vertical, our debt towards God. It shows our inability and incapability of paying something that we owe God. Nobody is born free. Amen? We are all born owing the Creator the worship that He deserves. Nobody is born free. Everybody is born owing with a debt to the Creator. And, we, and here's the, the problem. The debt gets even worse because we inherit the debt from Adam. And then we, with our own sins, increase that debt. Right? It's double ugly here. When God, we read in Revelation, when God opens the books, He has the perfect accounting of everyone's lives. All the debts are written there. All that you owe to God must be paid. Do you see? With us, God knew that humans often would have to overlook sins in order to live in fellowship with one another. Amen? But not God. He doesn't overlook sins. So every sin, you're increasing your debt. And that's why Revelation says about God opening the books. And check, huh, here's your debt. And all of us have to pay that. So either you pay in hell, or... 
Christ has paid your debt. That's it. That's the only two ways. And that's where some people get upset. And they say, wait a second, if, if I'm already forgiven, why do I need to ask for forgiveness in my prayers? Right? I remember a person asking me, all right, if, if you're already forgiven, why are you asking for forgiveness? We sing here in this church, Jesus paid it all. All to him, all. Oh, wait a second, he paid all. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Wait a second, did he pay the whole thing? Or, you see, salvation is so beautiful and so profound. They cannot just tackle from one angle. Salvation has a judicial, as in the law, and there is a relational aspect. Salvation has an eternal aspect, and there is a temporal aspect. Amen? That's very important. Judicial, relational. Eternal, temporal. Why is it important? Who are we addressing in this prayer? The judge or the father? The father. That's very important. Judicially, the judge looks at us and he sees for all those who repent of their sins and they embrace Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So yes, eternally, yes, you are justified. But now we are talking in a relational aspect. There's the temporal aspect. We are in a relationship with the Father and our sins, our sins do what to that relationship? Harm the relationship. Hinders the relationship. That's why we must daily ask for forgiveness of sins. Because we sin daily. Amen? So we, we come not as criminals asking for justification. But we come as children asking for reparation in our relationship. That's what's taking place here. And this week in God's providence, there was a, a wonderful moment between me and one of my daughters where there was just enlightening. We have a bunch of sinners living together, so of course, there's friction. And there was something. And one of my daughters came to me and said, Daddy, can we talk? I'm like, sure. Why, why do you want to talk? We need you. I want to I wanna repair a relationship. And right there, I was like, my heart was just enlarged. The joy, and I could just right there, was God teaching me. That's exactly what takes place. I'm always, I'm always ready to forgive. And you, because you have dwelling sin, you're always ready to sin. Right? That's us. We have the remaining sin in us. And that's what causes us to go every single day and ask the Lord and the Father to forgive us. Forgive us. And that reminds us that there is no sinless perfection in the Christian life until Christ returns or we go to heaven. 
And Martin Luther, he says, before we go to Martin Luther, I'll just look at here, remember, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, remember he's about to wash their feet. Do you remember what Peter says? Not only my feet, wash me, bathe me, my whole body. What does Jesus say? You're already washed. The same with us. We are already forgiven, in one sense, by the blood of Christ. But we need a daily washing to repair a relationship. That's what's taking place here. Some people come to me and they say, they always come with a quote that they say that's from Spurgeon, trying to argue why I should leave my beard, my facial, my, 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 my facial hair to grow. And they say, oh, do you see, Spurgeon believed that men should have beards. Let me quote Martin Luther. The original sin in a man is like his beard, his facial hair, which, though shaved off today, so that a man is very smooth around his mouth, yet grows again by tomorrow morning. As long as a man lives, such growth of the hair and the beard does not stop. Oh, but when the shovel beats the ground on his grave, it stops. Just so original sin remains in us and bestirs itself as long as we live. But we must resist it and always cut off its hair. <laughs> so we have that. And we have a father who is always ready <laughs> to forgive us. Always ready to forgive us. Always eager, his arms wide open to forgive us. When we come and we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And notice what says, Confess your sins, forgive us. Not, I'm sorry. I don't know who taught you to say, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry means nothing. I'm sorry means nothing. So sometimes people sin against me, they say, I'm sorry. I have nothing to say. What do you want me to say? Okay. There is no I'm sorry in the Bible. You confess your sins and you ask for forgiveness. Please forgive me. I sin against you. I did this and this and this. And we need to teach our children. Stop with I'm sorry. Teach them. Just That's how it take place. Go to the bedroom. Why are you about to get a spanking? Yes, because you sin. How did you sin? Oh, I did that. Yes. Specifics. Now I need to ask the Lord to forgive you. Repentance. And now I need to go to your sibling and ask him to forgive you. So that's how it is. There's no I'm sorry. It's please forgive me. I sin against you. And there's also the horizontal dimension of forgiveness. It's such a ma massive subject, brothers and sisters. I, I need to be careful here. And I have my watch and I'm looking at the time. Just like last Lord Day, I put my watch right here to see where we are. And by God's grace, last time was okay. <laughs> but it's such a massive and such an important subject, forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. And look what it says, and forgive us as we always forget this, this second part of the, the Lord's Prayer, right? 
We always say, oh, forgive our debts. As, as, we have also forgiven our debtors. Do you see how crazy that is? That you are praying, asking God to forgive you in the manner that you forgive other people. That's how Jesus is teaching us. Do to others what would like to be done to you. Forgive us as we forgive other people. We cannot pray in hypocrisy or double standards. I cannot be withholding forgiveness from that brother and sister and yet ask God to forgive me. Spurgeon said, Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. You're reading your death sentence when you read this prayer without forgiving other people. The Lord's Prayer can be a self-inflicted curse. A prayer of doom instead of blessing. Because if you're not ready and forgiving, you cannot ask the Father to forgive you. But we know that someone who has truly been saved someone who is in truly union with Christ, that person will grow in the eagerness to forgive others. That's part of the new nature we have in Christ. It's a heart that's eager to forgive other people. That must be. If we have a Father who is always ready to forgive us, now we have the aspect of the fatherhood in us that also empower us, if we have the spirit of this Father who is forgiving in us, now we too will always be ready and eager to forgive. That doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with forgiveness, but that means that we will grow into be forgiving. John Stott, he says, Once our eyes have been opened, to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated, overemphasized view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. How do you see your offenses towards God and how do you see the offenses of others towards you. If every sin and wrongdoing against you is gigantic, is huge, and yet you see your sins with God so small, you should question if you truly know the gospel. And notice that I said eagerness to forgive. Eagerness to forgive. Ready to pardon, ready to dispose and impart forgiveness. And that's important. There is a difference between being forgiving and forgiving others. That's very important. Sometimes you hear in Christian circles, well, you just need to forgive and forget. Just forgive and forget. You just have to forgive. Who said that? Who said that? Is there anybody in heaven who has not repented of their sins? Is there anybody in heaven who has not repented and asked for forgiveness? So that's very important, brothers and sisters. We, we have been schooled 
being taught something that's not biblical. I remember counseling this lady. Her husband had left her, left her with kids, betrayed her. So she's telling all the pain she's going through. And she says, I know you're going to say. I know you're going to tell me I need to forgive. And I said, actually, no. And her jaw just dropped. You can't forgive someone who has not repented of his sins. Those are heinous sins that affect so many people. I would be perverting the gospel if I say that you need to forgive this man. But you need to learn about forgiveness. You need to learn about your sins against God and how you must have a heart ready to forgive if he repents of his sins. The same with a young man telling me about all his abuse with his dad, how his dad abused him, all these nasty things and same thing. I know you're going to tell me. And not being rude, I need to forgive and forget and keep on with my life. I said, no, no. I clearly see you don't understand about forgiveness. So teach about forgiveness. First of all, your sins against God. Has the Father forgiven you your sins? Well, that's very important, brothers and sisters. The idea that Christians are commanded to go around forgiving everyone for their sins without fruits of repentance perverts the gospel. So sometimes I have seen in the news that tragedy, the guy invades the school, he kills the little girl, and then you see the father in the courtroom, I forgive you for your sins against my daughter and against me. And everybody thinks it's beautiful. But the guy didn't repent of his sins. Why are you imparting forgiveness in a person who has not repented of his sins? Heinous sins. They see. They're perverting the gospel. You should be saying, Oh, I pray that the Lord will give a heart that you repent of your sins. And when you repent of your sins, I'm ready to forgive you. When people sin against us and they don't repent of their sins, there are two ways that the Bible tells us to behave. When someone sins against us and they don't ask for forgiveness, when they don't repent, there are two ways that the Bible teaches us to behave. But there is one thing that the Bible always teaches us, and that's command to have a forgiving heart. We must have a forgiving heart. We must have a heart that's ready to forgive. It's amazing when you study the aspect of people who sin against you and how to deal with that. Because if you go to, if you look at the picture we have of heaven, Revelation chapter 6, and there are the martyrs. They were martyred for, for, for Christ's sake. Unjust death. Probably beheaded or burned alive. And they're standing before the throne. And do you know what they're doing? They're not saying, oh, you guys are all forgiven. How long, O Lord? And their souls are made perfect in heaven. So do you see how how vast this subject is? We cannot just put in in a neat, nice package and say, you just need to forgive and forget. Well, how about Jesus and Stephen? I'll ask you, did Jesus and Stephen look at them and say, I forgive you? 
What did they say? Father, forgive them. You see, that's very important. There's this aspect that Jesus had forgiven other people earlier. He could have said that, I forgive you for crucifying me. He doesn't do that. He shows a forgiving heart. Just like Stephen. They show a forgiving heart. A heart ready to forgive when they repent. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. Jesus does not say, if your brother sins against you, just forgive and forget. Does Jesus say that? Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, forgive and forget. No, there is a pattern to deal. There is a pattern. There is a way to deal with sins that are heinous, sins that are affecting the body of Christ. And if we, if we were always to forgive everyone without repentance, there would be no need for church discipline. Amen? Why would there be church discipline if you are all supposed to be forgiving one another without change and repentance? That becomes uncomfortable. Oh, that's a different subject. That's what Jesus is dealing here. Forgive us our debts. Implying what? You are repenting. You are asking for forgiveness. As we forgive, implying that people have come to you and ask for forgiveness. So, one way of, confront, one way of dealing when someone sins against you is by lovingly confronting that person. But let me tell you, because some of you here love a confrontation. Some of you here love confronting people. But biblically speaking, that's a rare situation when you're going to be confronting someone. The great majority of the time, the Bible tells us, do you know what to do? Overlook. Place a blanket of love. Cover that. You're not that holy and that almighty that every single offense is like sinning against the holy God. So, for example, in Proverbs 12:16, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent, the wise, overlook an insult. So, if everything bothers you, if every insult is a matter of arguing and confronting someone, the Bible says that you are a fool. Good sense. Good sense, not common sense. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook an offense. Look at that. Or First Peter 4, 8. Oh, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. I would say the 90 something percent of the times. Do you know what you're called to do? Not to confront, but to overlook. To place a blanket of love and cover. So many, can you imagine 
living in a household, in a church, in a community, that every single offense against you must be dealt with confrontation. We are lost. The church stops being the church. The church becomes a counseling section. If every single offense against you must be dealt with confrontation. This is the, the, that's removing the other aspect that the Bible teaches us. About, hey, to live in community, to live in harmony, many times you're going to have to overlook an offense. And people are going to be overlooking your offenses. Because don't think you're that cool and that awesome that you don't sin against other people. I know I have hurt many of you. And many of you, with much love, have covered my offenses. And many of you have hurt me. And you know what? A blanket of love on top. And you don't bring that to memory. You're not acting upon that. But when you're called, and that's rare, to confront someone. Because there's a pattern of sin. You, you need to think about before confronting someone. Wait, wait a second. Am I being a... A hypocrite here? Because maybe I, I commit the same things. Why am I confronting this person? Do I truly want to see this person's relationship with the Father restored? And our relationship restored? Or am I just doing that so I can gain my right of a, an apology? Be sensitive to your brother's situation. What's going on in his life right now? That's not for... That's no excuse for sinning. I try to be patient. So, J. Adam says, he has a great book, From Forgiven to Forgiving, I think is the title. He says, Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and church running smoothly. In a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ, there is much to forgive. Christians who must work together closely, find themselves denting each other's fenders now and then, taking out a tail light or two, and at times even having head-on collisions. Under such conditions, forgiveness is what keeps things from breaking down completely. So, if your heart is marked by anger, bitterness, a disposition to argue, unwillingness to overlook offenses, Readiness to confront every single wrong. And it's a great evidence that you are lacking in understanding the gospel. A person who is always ready to argue and confront has not fully grasped what the gospel is and how much God has forgiven you. As children of the Father, we are to reflect the Father. And there is that beautiful parable in Luke 15. And that's a beautiful parable because pictures what repentance and forgiveness is. The Father did not dispense forgiveness before the Son repented. But the Father was with His arms wide open, ready to hug and kiss His Son as soon as He repented. And we as children must do the same thing. Oh, you have no idea what He has done to me. Do you have an idea what you have done to the Lord? And once there is repentance, 
the change of mind. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against my Father. Please forgive me. Oh, there must be that wide open arm and embracing. And yes, I forgive you. Just as Christ has forgiven me. That's why the Bible says forgiving from your heart. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's something you're thinking through. All right, last petition and then we are done. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Provide our basic needs, pardon, and our protection, the spiritual protection. We must pray for forgiveness of past sins and protection against future sins and satanic schemes. John Stott says, The sinner whose evil in the past has been forgiven longs to be delivered from its tyranny in the future. And once again, we see that there is a spiritual warfare going on. And if you read the, Ma- the Gospel of Matthew, you see what just took place. And what just took place helps us understand Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what happened in the wilderness? Satan comes and tries to tempt him. There's the Father testing the satanic temptation. And there is a war. Even though Christ has won the war, there are battles. Bloody battles that we need to fight as a church, as Christians. Every single morning, you should wake up and realize that there is a battle. There is an enemy. Even though he's in chains, he's still ferocious and aggressive. And a lion in chains can, make, can cause much harm. We are to watch and pray. We pray for our daily bread and we work. We pray for forgiveness and we forgive others. We pray for deliverance and we flee temptation. We make no provision for the flesh. Amen? So like Ephesians 6, this is the church's prayer. We should be praying for one another. Praying for the leadership in this church. Oh, Father, protect them spiritually. Deliver them from satanic schemes. And pray for our church. Specific sins that we have sinned against the Lord. And then you ask, protect us, deliver us from the evil one. And not only the evil one, but the evil within us. That's what this prayer is all about. So, what a beautiful prayer, amen? Uh, There is no way for you to truly, sincerely pray this prayer and not have your life aligned with the truth of God. If you're going to pray this prayer, you've got to be... Open your heart and say, revolutionize my life, Lord. Align it to your will. That's how we're supposed to be praying this prayer. Not just repetition. We're supposed to change our lives because it's the Word of God transforming us. Many Christians have mediocre, uninspiring. They're living the same stunted and miserly lives because their lives in prayer are not being guided and mastered by the truth of the Lord's prayer. So now you know how to pray. You know what to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Oh, what a an ocean. So you can swim and dive and just praise the Lord for His adoption. Jesus Christ brought you to the family. He's in heaven. He's in charge of the White House. The White House is not in heaven. He's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Oh, thank you for... Placing your name upon us, help us now. Help us now, Father, to honor you, 
Today I have all these children to take care. I have diapers to change. Help me as I'm doing that to reflect the name that you have placed upon me. I have meetings to go. I have people to see. Help me in my words, in my actions to not dishonor you. So when people see my actions, they may say, wow, you belong to a wonderful family. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in our church, in my family. Rescue my little ones from the kingdom of darkness. My sister, my brother. Come, Jesus. Return. Expand your kingdom. Oh, let your kingdom come in Brazil, in Argentina, in Africa. Let your church grow. Your will be done. Not my will. My will is horrible. It's selfish. Your will. Your commandments. Your commandments give light. Your commandments are just like honey in our lips. Your commandments are like gold. And help us to obey just like in heaven. Quickly. Joyfully. With stability. And give us today our daily bread. Thank you. And as you are taking your garbage out, and you see that garbage full of leftover food, and that should be a moment of, thank you. You provided again and again. His goodness towards us. Oh, forgive us our debts. We have sinned against you. We have sinned against you. You have been prideful. We have not been as gentle as we should. I have been harsh. I have been greedy. I have been lazy. Forgive us. Forgive us. Just as I have been forgiving my brothers who sin against me. And lead us not into temptation. When the hour of testing comes, do not let that testing become a temptation and I will fall. No, give me feet to run. Give me hands to hold strong to you. And deliver us from the evil one. That satanic enemy wants to destroy your church every single day. We have so much to pray. And then you can add people all over the world into this prayer. Amen? And there is no way but start changing your life as you let this prayer change you. Oh, Father, how marvelous is your name. We love you. Thank you for adopting us and thank you for instructing us. Thank you for teaching us how to pray through your Son. Thank you for giving us your Spirit, the Spirit of adoption that enables us to cry, Abba, Father. What a privilege it is. Once children of wrath and now children of this glorious Almighty Father. Thank you for sending your Son to provide the adoption that we needed. With His blood, He paid the debt that we owed. And Lord, those here who are still in debt, I pray their Holy Spirit would bring them to the cross and help them to take hold of Jesus' blood. And just a little drop of that blood will cover and pay for all the debt that we have. Thank you for providing for us, Father. Thank for our daily bread. Thank that we have more than our daily bread. You are so benevolent, so gracious. And we thank you. Help us to use 
all the abundance You have given us for Your glory. And help us. Help us to pray prayers that honor Your name. In Jesus' name. Because it's through Jesus that we can pray this prayer. And it's because of Jesus that we can stand before You. And it's through Jesus that all these things are accomplished. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen.